1: Hello, everyone. My name is Nick Limsdall, and I want to welcome you to the Press 1 for Nick podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. James Killian. James is the principal of EX Solution Strategy at Qualtrics. James, welcome to Press 1 for Nick. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Yeah, you are welcome. So, um, you know, I a principle of EX solution strategy can mean a lot of things, and I can guess for the next 30 minutes, but I'd rather just have you tell the listeners uh, what you do at Qualtrics.
0: Sure. Yeah, and happy to be here. And so uh, we have lots of acronyms in, in our field, right? And so <laughs> EX solution strategy, what does that mean? That, the EX stands for employee experience solution strategy. So um, essentially what I do is I take principles of organizational psychology, that's why the doctor title please call me James. Um, Or Dr. J, right? Dr. J works too. So uh, (laughs) these principles of organizational psychology and human behavior are really applied to the workplace. So it's things that motivate employees, things that demotivate them, etc. So um, a famous colleague out there, Adam Grant, who's a pretty well-known author and speaker, um, he introduces himself as an organizational psychologist, which means that he studies how to make work not suck. And so when we think about the employee experience, you know, we think about the constructs that are related to employee engagement as an example. So things like pride, advocacy, work involvement, intent to stay in the job and the discretionary effort that each of us brings to that job on a daily basis. So the whole idea of what I do is to improve those areas and thereby improving job performance and simultaneously improving the experience that the customer receives by improving the experience the employee receives.
1: Nice. That sounds like a pretty fun job. Um, So, uh, us as consumers, I always try to think of it from the consumer side, uh, tend to get frustrated by the expectations not being met uh, from the companies that we work with. And as we were prepping for this podcast, you kind of shared... Uh, a unique um, experience uh, that you had trying to purchase a high-end road bike. Can you please maybe reshare the story uh, that you shared with me? Uh, because I want to take that story and break it down through
0: the rest of the podcast. Certainly. And, and I, I do find it interesting that, you know, there was this shared interest in cycling that got me talking about this story. And it was so, so frustrating and you sensed my angst here and then it became the focal point of the podcast here. So to your point, um, I'm uh, very much a cycling enthusiast and so I, I recently ordered a new high-end road bike and the e-commerce process was very challenging, uh, very frustrating and so as we kind of break down what the story looked like so, so basically and I'll leave out the names of, of the, uh, the manufacturers here just so we're yeah, protecting. Them.
1: Yeah and, and just to let the listeners know I'm not going to name the name or what he paid but this isn't like a, a huffy bike. Right. This isn't this isn't a low end uh, a bike that you you would expect. But uh, the way that I would I would um, my analogy is it's really more of a, a Rolls Royce version of a
0: of a road bike. Correct. I, I would say so. Yeah. That, All right. That's, that's a good way to categorize it. So. So it, it, in other words, it, it was it was an investment. Right. And so I, I, I purchased this new premium road bike from direct from the manufacturer on May 25th. And okay. so, you know, I, I hesitated my, my hand hovered over the, you know, submit button for a while <laughs> and then I clicked it and I got the email confirmation and I thought I was good to go. And, I, and, and it set some expectations in the email confirmation that here's the way that the rest of the process is going to work. You know, you'll be mm-hmm. alerted when your bike is shipped. You'll be alerted when it you know, arrives at the, uh, uh, at the distribution center. You'll be alerted when it's uh, assembled and ready for pickup. Okay. So I waited four days. And I did not receive any further alerts. It's kind of interesting. So I inquired the status on May 29th. So this is four, almost five days later. And so there was no response. So they have a special, um, a special email address, uh, that deals with, uh, uh, you know, purchases. And so I was sending multiple emails and received no response. So I called the 800 number and from the greeting, air quotes here the greeting that was on the uh, the phone system learned that the manufacturer's offices were closed due to the coronavirus and so didn't really know what to do about that Uh, I you know over the next couple of days saw that the pending charge that I had for this road bike actually disappeared from my credit card statement Um, and I couldn't get in touch with anybody there was no voicemail option there was no response to the customer care emails so I assumed this e-commerce platform really wasn't connected to process or, or, or the inventory and just the charge was never accepted. Like you actually had to have somebody receive the order and ring the cash register in the back office. Right? <laughs> uh, and so my assumption was, because nothing was happening, nothing was charging, nothing was shipping, no, there were no updates that the order was canceled. Mm. Right? So instead, I went through uh, and ordered a, the same exact bike through one of the authorized retailers. So instead of going direct to the manufacturer, I went to the retailer. I did that on June 1st.
1: Okay.
0: Then in a series of the most frustrating of circumstances, on the same day that I purchased my new bike through the retailer, the manufacturer sends an email indicating the original order has now <laughs> shipped. And now you have two, two orders on your credit card. Correct. Correct. So, so, uh, you know, as you might imagine, I was um, a little beside myself and, you know, so I subsequently canceled the new order from the authorized retailer as it appeared that my original order was actually being shipped out. Okay, fine. You know, all I want is the bike. (laughs) Just give me the bike. Right. And so um, June 10th, The bike arrives at the distribution center. Same day, I get the charge for um, the credit card. Uh, But the next day, the distribution center contacts me and indicates that the serial number received on the bike that they are in possession of is actually that of the canceled Authorized retailer order, the bike Uh, order from the authorized (laughs) retailer that was processed instead of the original order. So in essence, Uh. Nick, I I bought two of the same bike only to have to return one because the e-commerce site from the manufacturer was a terrible user experience. Mm. And there was no way for me to actually talk to somebody to get it cleared up. So that's a real problem here, right? Because as, as we talk more throughout our time here today, I'm a big believer that the lowest common denominator in enhancing the customer experience is the connection to an employee. If you can actually get somebody on the phone, then the odds of you, uh, you know, addressing your issues are going to be much better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I wanted you to share that on the podcast because we all have stories like this. Mm. Um, we all feel the pain of working through a company and sometimes uh, the company doesn't realize it um, and sometimes they do and they do nothing about it. And there's a lot of things that can happen and, and um, that consequences that are behind it. But you know, the goal today for me is to take, walk through that um, conversation that you just had and understand ways to close that experience gap. Um, so, the first question, obviously, this isn't a counseling session, but how did that experience make you feel? Uh, obviously, it wasn't known and valued.
0: Yeah. Um, it, you know, it was, it was very frustrating um, to me to you know, I was very excited about, mm-hmm. about this, this bike, right. And I had already sold my previous bike. And so I'm waiting to fill this gap that I've created for myself. And so, you know, every day I'm like, uh, it's Christmas morning almost, right. I'm, I'm looking up mm-hmm. my email, seeing if I've got, uh, you know, an actual communication that my, you know, Christmas morning is on its way <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and nothing. And so it really kind of left me deflated, I think, Um, number one, number two, it it actually took my enthusiasm for the brand down a couple of notches, Mm. you know? Um, and, and then finally it really made me nervous because I had two not so small charges on my credit card. And if you look at the fine print, uh, for both the manufacturer and the retailer, both of them say, because this is a special order, um, you cannot return it. And so I'm thinking I really actually just bought two of these high-end road bikes, uh, due to a glitch.
1: Yeah. Who do I know that, uh, uh, wants to buy another high-end road bike that I have two of, because you can't (laughs) technically ride two at the same time. Uh, but, um, you know, one question I had too, is why didn't you go direct, uh, to the local, um, bike shop from the, from the
0: beginning? You know, it's, it's a great question. And, and again, because it is a, a special order um, this particular type of bicycle is, is not stocked in the retail stores. And so I was led to believe from the manufacturer that the only way to get the bike was to actually order it directly from them. And so it it was basically you had to uh, go to the monopoly, so to speak.
1: So, they kind of bamboozled bamboozled you from the beginning they they said that you could only get it directly from them and that wasn't necessarily true as the storyline played out
0: that's correct that's correct yeah, And, and again, you know, I think it's important, and even though I'm not saying the name of the, this particular manufacturer, I, I do think it's important to say I, I'm a big fan of, you know, Simon Sinek, let's assume positive intent here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that this, this company was, you know, had malicious intent to ruin my experience, but it was also very clear, you know, and as we talk more about breaking down this experience, that they really hadn't thought about their customer. And they really hadn't thought about the customer experience. And they really hadn't thought about how an intervention of a positive employee experience could actually help with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe um, explain what the difference was um, when you were interacting with the local bike shop to the manufacturer. What was the difference in the experience and maybe communication, timeline, um, et cetera?
0: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, as I alluded to before, um, the the experience that I had with the e-commerce site and the manufacturer had clearly um, not been developed well enough to to have an, an automated communication that was really actually setting an expectation and then closing that gap as quickly as possible, so that I was continuing to feel uh, loved as a customer, if you will, and so I think that you know, that, that experience was poor. I think if I were to then uh, pivot and think about the difference when I actually went to the authorized retailer Mm -hmm. and I was able to actually interact with a real human being in a live situation, these guys were fantastic. I mean, they, they were empathetic. They said, "Hey, you know what? we can help you out with this uh, you know so when the the incorrect bike uh, of the cancelled order showed up at the distribution center, you know these folks were were really helpful they were they were like, Let us talk to the manufacturer the rep from the manufacturer, and we'll make sure to get that other charge taken off your credit card We'll make sure that we ship the other bike back when it shows up here." don't worry about it. We've got you. Oh, and by the way, this has been a super big hassle for you. And we know you're itching to get on that new bike. You know, we're going to go ahead and put it to the front of the assembly line and we're going to get it done for you by tomorrow so that you can pick up your bike and go take it for a ride. And so that was a completely different experience, um, you know, than, than the, the e-commerce platform, which clearly had not been thought through.
1: Yeah. And and maybe I'm, I'm, I might have misheard you um, on our previous conversation, but they actually delivered it to your house, correct?
0: Well, uh, in essence, uh, my, the authorized retailer is actually just across the street. So I was able <laughs> okay. to walk over and and get the bike and then ride it back. But, yeah. you know, and again, I mean, back to the assumed positive intent, uh, I, I think, you know, just to, to throw a bone over to the manufacturer, you know, they're, the customer service, Challenge that, that I was faced with, you know, I had to circumnavigate it to ultimately get what I wanted, right? Which was just the bike. I mm-hmm. I was willing to spend good money on a good bike, and I just wanted it. Um, you know, so 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 it was a pretty frustrating experience. And to be fair, though, I I was able to finally get somebody from the manufacturer through a different um, communication vehicle, and it turns out. Typically, this company receives about 500 tickets per week under normal uh, circumstances. Since the coronavirus pandemic has come into play, they're actually receiving 700 tickets a day. And so that's a big difference. And I can totally appreciate that they're absolutely drowning over there, but you know, that's why if you're going to leverage a digital environment with for an e-commerce platform, you need to actually have that set up to be doing the communication for your people. Um, mm-hmm. So you're augmenting the employees and, and the experience that they can deliver, uh, you know, potentially even replacing some of that so that you can actually perform, right? So, so set the expectation and then deliver that because frankly, I, I mean, If you're a billion-dollar company, don't have a general mailbox that's full and a message that your offices are closed with no (laughs) other detail. Act like a billion-dollar company, please.
1: That really gives you peace of mind when you call into a number and they say, hey, we're actually not working right now. Our business hours are closed. Uh, When you're trying to solve your problem, you just want to talk to a representative or a human being. Uh, and you can't speak to them or you can speak to them voice to voice. You can't speak to them eyeball, eyeball to eyeball and say, hey, solve my problem like you can at a local shop. But it's a much better experience when you have a true problem to, to have it be solved by a human. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my guess is that you learned a lot uh, throughout this experience. Uh, what recommendations would you have to the bike manufacturer and, and even the local bike shop uh, moving forward? And did you have that opportunity to share with them?
0: You know, um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yes, I did have an opportunity to, to share some of that ex- experience with them. I, I think, you know, it's important to point out that why this topic was of interest to me is, you know, back to my, my introduction that you gave, the employee experience solution strategy, right? So I'm trying to help my customers improve the employee experience because we are in an experience economy, right? So I I wanted the bike and I had the opportunity to buy the exact same bike twice mm. and to view the difference in those buying experiences. And when we think about the experience economy, as you look at the definition of it, it's really one in which products and services are sold by emphasizing the effect they can have on people's lives and then delivering those way of an experience that is better than the competition Mm. in my example that we talked about here today the irony is it it, it was the same bike whether i was buying it from the manufacturer or an authorized retailer and the authorized retailer did it better Mm. than the manufacturer so you know as we think about you know, this experience economy, it, it kind of comes back to is something that legendary management guru Peter Drucker had said, if you can't measure it, then you can't improve it. So that's the whole concept behind experience management within the experience economy is to quickly identify gaps and then to close those gaps as fast as you possibly can to deliver a superior experience. And so back to your original question, you know, what are some of the recommendations or or observations I have, you know, a couple of things come to mind. Um, You know, I was recently listening or watching um, you you may have heard of masterclass and Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a great subscription service. I I do recommend it. There's all kinds of great, learnings you have from a lot of really well-known experts, uh, and among them was a piece that was done by Howard Schultz, Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I thought was really interesting was, you know, in big meetings that he has, he actually keeps two empty seats in the room, and one is for the customer and the other is for the employee. Mm. And that's fascinating to me because within each meeting, he looks at the chairs and he says, okay, is what we've talked about good for the customer and good for the employee? And if it's only good for one, then it has to go back and you really got to think about it. Right. And so as I, I think about this Howard Schultz example, Nick, the, the experience that I had, the digital experience on the e-commerce platform on this manufacturer's site, clearly they had thought about it from uh, you know, maybe the, the employee side in terms of enhancing, you know, the ability to sell more, um, through this digital medium, but they clearly had not thought it through for the customer. And that was me. And what was really interesting to me was, uh, as I started talking to the, the, the guys, uh, and they were all men. So I am calling them guys, <laughs> the guys over at the bike shop, they, um, you know, they, they said, oh yeah, that manufacturer, they came to us, you know, last year with this idea about this, you know, click and pick up uh, kind of thing. And we started asking a bunch of questions and it didn't really seem like they knew what they were doing with their e-commerce platform, mm-hmm. but we were like, okay, well, whatever, as long as, you know, we can sell bikes. And so, yeah. you know, there's an example where, you know, the authorized retailer, even their commentary, there it meant that the manufacturer was really at odds with both the retailer and me as the customer. So, so if you think about like, you know, that experience again um, with the, the folks at the bike shop, um, the employees at the retailers were really the ones who rolled up their sleeves. They offered to help, you know, as I mentioned, they, they really made me feel incredibly special Uh, after such an ordeal and to put me at the front of the line, right? So if the manufacturer took a more customer-centric lens like the authorized retailer, that's really going to help. But what's really missing here, Nick, is that, and you asked this question before, I was never given the opportunity to give input on my experience Hmm. with the manufacturer. I had to actively seek it out, right? And that is not... Um, a good move in an experience economy, right? So, you know, what we tend to find is, again, back to if you if you can't measure it, then you can't improve it. Yeah. That means that this manufacturer is kind of taking an ostrich, stick the head in the sand and everything will be fine kind of an approach as opposed to leaning in and really understanding that, hey, you know what? We're really not that good at something and we actually need to invest more in understanding what we need to do to improve that, right? So, you know, at at, at SAP Qualtrics, you know, we we define experience management as the ability to measure, understand, and take action on what's happening Mm -hmm. in business. So, you know, experience management is really uh, bringing data to action in a system of action. So, if we think about this there's all kinds of data that, that, you know, I presented in, in the case that I had, right? I mean, there's um, my experience, my frustration, there's um, the, the charges on the credit card, there's the numbers of emails, right? So all these are data points that, you know, when leveraged together can actually paint a pretty good picture. When you start looking at those data points rolled up across hundreds or thousands of customers. And so if you think about capturing, you know, the combination of operational performance data, things like net promoter score, or if you're in a call center, average handling time, ticket resolution, et cetera, and then interlocking it with the experience data from customers, suppliers, employees, and then act on insights to improve organizational performance, you're going to deliver better outcomes. That allows the businesses to really make better, smarter, faster decisions about people, products, and services that are really relevant to their customers.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's so important. You kind of mentioned how this manufacturer had uh, this e-commerce platform, this this uh, this Whizbang platform that they loved, right? Maybe IT or operations saying, check this out. This is what we're measured on. We're going to completely focus on that instead of actually looking from the customer centric lens, um, to see what was best. Um, and you know, organization or not, I'm not organizations, customers see you as one organization, right? They don't see you as a siloed organization. They don't see you as e-commerce and then operations and then sales and then marketing and then right public relations. They see you as one. You are one organization. Um, so from your perspective, what, why is it important to to act as one company?
0: Yeah, well, it, because it, it really impacts the brand experience when it's all, you know, segmented out like that. So, mm-hmm. when you see a lack of connectivity and we've all experienced this, right? So, sales pushes it to service and says, throws their hands up and says, not my job. Yep. Service says, oh, that's not my job either, you know? And then, you know, the details shared, you know, you then have a conflict with the digital experience. And in my example, I was having expectations set via emails that were completely antithetical to what was actually happening. Right. And so it really is important to to maintain that solidarity when it comes to, uh, you know, a, a brand, because the reality is people out there are, are no longer customers they are brand enthusiasts and if you want to retain and grow your brand enthusiast you have to be thinking about them you have to be thinking about how they fit in with this experience economy because if all you see is cash register dollar signs someone to take advantage of that is very very transactional and we do not live in a transactional world anymore
1: Yeah, it's definitely, when you talk about being a brand ambassador, um, you're buying a very high-end road bike. You probably know other cyclists that you ride with, and you probably shared the story with them. Mm -hmm. And saying, hey, here's my experience. Maybe in the future, um, I might buy a bike from that manufacturer, but I might think twice and go to a different one, uh, depending on how they made me feel.
0: Absolutely. And and I'd say even more to the point, you know, I would say, You know, my recommendation is don't go to the manufacturer, go to the folks at this authorized retailer because they're incredible and they're going to treat you like a prince. Yeah, there was a,
1: there's a guy um, who owns a company um, out of Connecticut. It's actually a bike shop called Zane Cycles and um, he talks about the importance of the customer lifetime value. And he sees it and so, so he sees if James comes in and all he does is buy a, you know, $9 water bottle, he sees he was a, $5, and $60 or a $5,460 customer, like $5,460 as a customer because as a total lifetime value in theory uh, that you're going to stay with that organization, you're going to treat them the way that you or maybe the way that they want to be treated. And they, they pay um, up to um, around $6,000 in, in some cases more. But it's important to constantly focus on the customer regardless of what they're spending.
0: Um, I really love that story. And, and I'd love to um, pivot and, and just uh, share a, a, a different story that's a good one, yeah. um, a good experience that I recently had that aligns exactly like that. So I recently made a purchase um, with the clothing company Viore. Um, I had heard everybody say their pants are amazing, you know, they're very soft. And so I bought a pair of shorts and I really liked them. And about a week after I bought them, the zipper broke and I was like, oh, really? So I reached out to customer support and they said, and I said, hey, I love these shorts, but the zipper broke. And their response was within 25 minutes Mm -hmm. of me sending this um, through their portal, their customer service portal. And they said, please send us a picture of the shorts with the problem. And within 12 hours, Viore came back and said, because all our clothing is handmade, there are occasionally some issues with that. We're sending you a new pair of shorts on us. Please keep them both and thank you for your loyalty. Nick, I have now made um, three additional purchases from Viori since then with inside of six weeks, right? And so that's a great example of your fifty-four sixty, yep. you know, in effect. I mean, I became a brand enthusiast of Viori and I plan on buying more from them. And I know that if something goes wrong, they're going to take care of me.
1: Yep. Yep. And then you feel, so it's the same as, as me recommending a company that another company should do business with or referring James to somebody else that I know, like, and trust. Hmm. Um, my name goes along with that. It's the exact same thing when you talk about um, the clothing company or the, or, the, or the bike manufacturer. Your name goes along with uh, that recommendation. Um, and I think that is right. so important.
0: Right, right. And, and, and you know, I mean, you y- you asked this question. I don't feel like I really uh, was able to completely answer it. Uh, I think one final point that I'll put in here about, like, what are some of the recommendations th- that we would have in terms of um, improving or accelerating the value to the customers, right? Uh, really what it comes down to is you can't dabble anymore. Don't dabble in e-commerce. You know, you-, you need to be all in, Okay, that's, uh, that's one of our, our main values at Qualtrics is to be all in. And, and So, what so I mean don't just
1: put your foot in the kiddie pool a little bit. You got to go off the high dive.
0: That's, a, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Off the high dive and, and, and do it with style, panache, nice. right? Cannonball so, or yeah. so. So as you think about like the digitalization of everything, it's created some serious data and and the need for acting on it. So so this is both exciting and challenging because trying to measure and improve experience management has until recently really been like having the Library of Congress at your fingertips, but all the mm-hmm. books are scattered on the floor, right? So, but by this combination of experience and operational data, like I was talking about, um, now we can really identify those gaps and close them quickly. So, you know, companies are really devoting real energy and effort into getting ahead of issues like this and not just being satisfied with lagging indicators of success or failure, right? It's not, mm. you know, let's look at the end of the year and and, and look in the rearview mirror and say, say uh, well, we didn't do that good this year. We're going to have to do better next year, right? It's being able to look at leading indicators to say, it looks like we're trending towards a negative experience with our employees and our customers. Mm-hmm. Let's get ahead of that immediately, right? But as you think about like, like this, this um, particularly within this digital world, the pandemic has absolutely accelerated this, right? Companies mm-hmm. that can't pivot, and be agile and have a digital environment, you know, are are not going to survive. Um, and those who can are going to accelerate. So, and we see this. It's it really interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about, you know, what are going to be the impacts long standing here uh, when it comes to the recovery on the back end of the COVID nineteen crisis. There are going to be brands that we are very familiar with or you and I have grown up with, Nick, that are going to be poof, gone. Right. We're never going to hear from them again, right? And we're already seeing like, like big ones like Pier imp- peer 1 Imports just disappeared, right? Yep. Um, Neiman Marcus and Chuck E. Cheese are on the bubble right now. WeWork was hot to trot six months ago right? Mm -hmm. Even with the controversy with their CEO, it was still really hot and now nobody's going to the office. So, you you take a look at that compared to say LinkedIn who opened up much of their learning content for free or Allstate offering deferment of up to two premium payments with no penalties. Mm -hmm. And uh, shameless plug for Qualtrics here, (laughs) we created and deployed a remote worker pulse solution and opened it up to the world at no cost. And so, what that's meant is Uh, consumption of, uh, you know, a a program in the times of this virus by over 11,300 brands who have launched over 47,000 unique projects. So this has paved the way toward a suite of return to work solutions because now everybody's trying to get back. Basically, you know, what it really comes down to, Nick, is that we absolutely know right now, Um, that the pandemic has changed the face of organizational talent forever uh, and customer as well. But um, it really means every company needs to be thinking about their employees and how to best enhance that experience rooted in support, productivity, and well-being. So if you do that, then there is going to be a very natural conduit toward having a better customer experience, particularly with direct customer contact. So things like retail, sales, customer support, that's going to be critical to delivering those brand promises that we were talking about uh, to those customers going forward. So, so bottom line is, uh, I like uh, Richard Branson. Uh, he actually spoke at our X4 Summit last year and he said, uh, he said on stage and he said it before, you know, clients do not come first, employees come first. If you take care of your employees, they will take care of your clients.
1: Yeah, no, that is well said. Um, I've heard the old uh, equation, happy employees equal happy customers. It's it's super simple. So so focus on those employees first. Uh, So I wrap up every um, podcast uh, by asking two questions. Uh, So no pressure. Uh, But the first question is, uh, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And the second question is, so I'll buy you some time, is if you could leave a note uh, to all the customer service and or all the customer experience professionals, what would it say?
0: Oh, goodness. Okay, so first first question was what book has influenced me? Or in person. Yeah. Book or person. Yep. Ah, goodness. Um, so many good ones, you know. I'm a. Uh, I, I'm actually, I'm actually a really big fan of Brene Brown. Yeah. Um, I think just she has um, so many books, and, and and I'm I'm really in love with her podcast lately because she's really about breaking down the human experience mm-hmm. and and letting us be vulnerable and letting us share and grow and do it in a way that isn't too. Hokey, right? I mean, a lot of what you hear out there does sound like a whole bunch of armchair psychology, and and I really like the way that she she brings a style and, and an attitude toward improving our lives that I think is just really important. So I'm 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 happy to be you know really following her a lot more closely these days. Um, in terms of the the note that I would leave. Um, to rephrase it exactly again yep. sorry
1: yep. so if you could leave a note to all the customer service or all the customer um, experience professionals and 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 it would receive everybody would receive it so james writes this this nice note um and and you it would reach the world of customer experience customer service professionals what would it say and it could be a little post-it note it could be a a high le- letter that three thousand words you you don't got to you got to summarize what it would say to these people.
0: Please don't forget that I am a person. Mm. I'm not an interaction. I'm not a transaction. I'm not dollar bills. I am a human being. And I would really appreciate it if you would treat me that way.
1: Boom. Mic drop right there. So, <laughs> uh, James, uh, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you, maybe connect with you on LinkedIn?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn, James Killian, PhD uh, with Qualtrics. And, uh, you know, you can also reach me at my email address, which is jamesk at Qualtrics, dot com.
1: is great. James, thank you so much for being my guest on Press One for Nick. I truly appreciate it.
0: Nick, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press 1 for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.